Welcome to episode one of Friend Beer Coffee, an autobiographical podcast for the hell of it. I'm your host, Joel Gratzik, beer blogger, travel enthusiast, and recovering Five Iron Frenzy fan. Today's guest is a pastor, speaker, musician, mother, and more, Leonor Ortega-Till. How's it going? Yeah, things are good. I am sitting here thinking about new songs for Five Iron Frenzy. It's taking us quite a while to write new songs, but we are starting to work on some, so that's Sweet. kind of the process that we're in right now. Yeah, yeah. And how how did things go, or are they going with the fast feeling? Well, the fast feeling is kind of more of a studio album. We recorded our album, and we fulfilled our pledges, and that felt really, really good to do. Um, other than that, Five Iron takes so much of our lives that we don't really have any time to do anything else. And I'm, I'm okay with that, because I'm, I'm happy with all the songs and the way they turned out. So I feel like Fast Feeling, it's just, it is what it is, and it, <laughs> it's some really cool songs, and maybe down the road we'll put them to weird videos or whatever. But other than that, like, yeah, I don't really foresee doing live with that band. Five Iron's been selling, selling out shows, too, the last, I don't know, several that I've seen online anyways. That's probably a good feeling as well. Oh, man. Last, I think it was last month we played in Nashville, and honestly, it was one of the most pleasurable flyouts because it was easy two shows at the same venue they were both sold out already and the crowds were happy but they were happy to mosh too and happy to circle pit there was good food everyone was really mellow and i got to hang out with mike carrera and do his podcast which was fun and so yeah honestly like that weekend i, I just honestly it's weird to leave a weekend and feel refreshed but last weekend did that. It made me feel like, wow, this is why we do this. And then there's weekends where it's like eight-hour drives and luggage is <laughs> lost or there's not enough people to pick us up or whatever it is. But this week, it was nothing like that. It just was like, oh, that is so nice. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear that. Those are definitely good for the soul. Because I remember when you guys started back up, it wasn't necessarily the easiest thing because you were still trying to find your groove and – get back together as a, you know, band that was doing things versus just friends getting together for cookouts and things like that. I think the logistics is what kills bands more than anything, and especially ska bands. I mean, let's just be silly in the first place and eight people. Um, so you add eight people, that's already going to cause a ruckus, but then you're talking rental cars, and then you're talking shipping merch, and then you're talking eight flights, and you're talking... Uh, how many hotel rooms, plus the sound person. And it gets, the logistics can be really difficult. But luckily, Amy Roper, Reese Roper's wife, is basically like our, she calls herself our travel agent. <laughs> and nice. she enjoys it and she helps us. She really does. She spends a lot of time looking for the best prices and, you know, free breakfast hotels that have shuttles from the airport. Things that logistically would make our lives a nightmare, she takes upon herself to do, which man, I don't know how she does it. So with all those into place, it's it's awesome. And it's really we're really grateful to have her do that. That's really great to have somebody be able to do that. And she at least is or, or was in the travel industry for quite a while. So she's got a lot of experience with that. Yeah, she was a flight attendant for United, which was awesome because she could come to shows. She's no longer doing that right now, now that they have two kids. But mm -hmm. one of the funny things about those years was that Reese was 
using a buddy pass quite often, and that was bad because Reese is ever the more than an optimist. If there's a level above optimist, (laughs) which has to do with lack of reality, that's Reese. And so he'd be like, well, I'm going to catch this standby flight, and I'll just have a 40-minute drive and be right to the show. And it's like, no, you won't. (laughs) (laughs) Constant. Like, all of us are, like, getting ulcers those years. Like, is Reese going to make it? When's he going to make it? And then, you know, just – but most of the time, I mean, he always made it, but it would just be very stressful, you know? <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's that's the way he thinks. We we have a phrase, which is, you can listen to reason, or you can listen to Reese. We have that phrase. And then his answer is always the same, which is, Reese is the root word of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> oh I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you're a pastor, speaker, musician, mother. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, I know what people always say when they talk to me is they listen to a few words out of my mouth, and then they're like, your life sounds exhausting. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's not. Like, honestly, it's not exhausting at all. It's very balanced these days, in fact. I was a pastor for 16 years at Scum of the Earth Church, which is a church in Denver, Colorado, Scum of the Earth, and it's still going on. It's doing awesome, actually. It's doing well. Uh, But I felt very, very led to branch out of working inside of a church and basically try my hand at um, ministry along the, I don't know, just in communities and along the the riverbanks, if you will, outside of the church, people who don't go to church. And so I've kind of created a a career um, under this organization called Urban Sky. Urban Sky is in Denver, and they take on people who want to be in ministry but don't want to necessarily work in the status quo. And you can essentially be very creative and form your own job description, and the board will look over it, and they'll look over it with you. And so for me, it entails um, a few different things, which this is where people get exhausted, but it's not. Um, (laughs) There's aspects of prison ministry. I've been cleared with the Department of Corrections in Denver to work at the women's prison doing ministry. And then I work with Women's Homelessness Initiative, which essentially is setting up 20 cots once a week for women to spend the night in um, churches that are not advertised because it works somewhat as a safe ha- safe house. Okay. And then there's the, the new thing, like you said, I'm trying to branch out and speak. So I'm preaching regularly at an apartment church, which this is, check this out, Joel, you'll like this. It is an apartment complex. And one of the apartments operates essentially as a church with a uh, food pantry and a clothing pantry for any of the residents. Neat. Yeah, it's different. It's very different. And it almost has a house church feel because because it's so tiny, there is a cap on how many people can come. So it's about like 20 people. And then the, the bedroom is used like as a Sunday school. And then there's another apartment in the same complex that is the youth group. And so similarly, that's kind of capped, but my kids go there and – yeah, we're digging it. And then on a couple times a month, I'm trying to speak, trying to get out there and just do different events. Do you have any sort of theme with your speaking that you kind of stick around or does it just change depending on the audience? Well, kind of both. I think that there's always going to be me. I'm always going to be the person. And I think the common denominator of all that and the reason I get booked, and it sounds maybe strange, but I think that I'm – different enough that and unique enough that people want to book me because I'm not a Caucasian male. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) okay, 
we have four Caucasian males already speaking. Maybe we should get a Latin woman and a mother. And so I think, honestly, that I'm getting booked because people are willing and able and wanting to have conversations with people that don't run in their own circles. And so being tattooed and being punk rock and this kind of person, I think people are intrigued a little bit and interested to say, okay, she has some of the same beliefs, but obviously a very different um, background and a, maybe a different spin on things, maybe a different way of looking at things. And I've found that people are awesome and generous in their listening and in their their desire to learn and me from them as well. And so it's it's not usually crowds that I'm used to. I'm actually going to a lot of different churches and organizations that are very suburban and like I've been to Wisconsin and then I was in Eugene, Oregon, and I was even in Vancouver, Canada. And I've been going to crowds that I don't have anything in common with. And they're saying, let's dialogue. And it is really opening my mind to what uh, faith is and how faith is changing and how the, the conversations are changing. And so my themes are not always the same. They're, it can be about a lot of different things. And when you work with a, whoever's booking you, they kind of let you know what what they're after and how they want to grow and, and you work together to figure out the themes. Do you plan on, on um, you know, continuing that for a while, maybe having a, a book or a podcast or anything like that, or you're just focused on the uh, individual speaking engagements right now? No, I've been getting a lot of encouragement in the podcast arena and I'm thinking I've, I don't know, I would love to do it, but if I did it, I would want to do it in a way that I would interview people that are not normally interviewed. Like, just everyday people, I think, would be interesting conversations. Um, I'm, I'm mulling it around in my head. Just I don't know who would listen, but at the same time, I think I love to talk. And I'm, I've done a few podcasts on this side of things, and I enjoy it a lot. And I think it's one of the ways that um, these kind of, especially spiritual conversations, are continuing because a lot of people are not going to church anymore and are not in churches, but they're still – valuing podcasts and they're valuing learning and they're valuing exploring. And sometimes you even listen to something to say, what do I not agree with and how can I grow myself? And so I'm finding that people are using podcasts as a way to keep the conversation going. And I, I'm all for keeping the conversation going. So if that's um, something that is, is useful, then I, I might look into that. And as far as book writing, Joel, you know me, I'm an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to write a book. I hate being alone. It's going to be torture. Um, I'm trying to catalog some of my experiences, but I just don't like to be alone. I just don't like to write. So we'll see. I don't know. Oh, that makes sense. You definitely are very good at interacting with people that you know well or complete strangers off the street. Um, that, <laughs> well, I know. I love strangers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of the most fun things I think that happens whenever I get to hang out with you is we'll go out for a drink or talk after show or whatever and make brand new friends that we just see on the street because you've walked up to people because you like their buttons or you thought they were interesting <laughs> or like any yeah. number of different reasons. I, I love that. My kid, uh, it's funny because I have, oh, sorry. <clears throat> I was no, go ahead. Say I have an 11-year-old. I have 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and they don't like it. They're like, leave people alone. <laughs> Let's just get out of the grocery store. <laughs> How do you like being a parent? Is that um, it, is it meeting the expectations you had before you became a parent, or uh, are are things kind yeah. of different from what you thought? 
I think when you're going to be a parent and when you're younger, you think you, you put on the extreme of what you'll be, and that's the hope, and that's actually the goal, and that is not the reality. And so for me, I do live life very much to the fullest. I love to experience, to taste different foods, to travel, to meet people, and I've learned that I have very academic children, and they like the safety of a little box around them, and so there's a, they're okay going with me on crazy road trips or meeting weird people or going to whatever concert or art show or whatever, but they, their box um, is a little smaller than mine. And so it's been interesting for me to say, okay, hone yourself in because you think they're going to love all this. And that's actually exhausting to them. Uh, My energy level is super high. And so I'll pick up the kids from school and especially my son, who's 11 and somewhat of an introvert. And I'll say, the car is packed and we're going to the zoo right now. And he just looks at me and he goes, can we go home? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking part of me is like, what kid wants to go home? But then I have to recognize, you know, um, I've been home all day. Of course they want to be home now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So so sometimes it's a bit of a balance to uh, rein myself in and uh, not get my hopes up that every single moment is going to be like something that goes down in history as their best memory. And that it's okay to have moments of Sabbath and rest, and video games, and movies, and junk food, but I am pretty extreme in a lot of areas, and so it's hard for me to balance myself out. It's good that you're attempting to do that, though, and you're recognizing uh, what is important to the kids, you know. I've got, Mm -hmm. already, I already know Wesley's that type. He loves to just be home. We can be out having a lot Mm. of fun, and if when he's done, he's done, and that's it. He's he's ready to just be home. Can we just go home? We don't, I don't want to go out again, whatever. And our now right. uh, eight-month-old, he, like, lights up when we go anywhere near the door, and he's always happy if we're outside oh. the house, more so <laughs> than at home. So I'm yeah. interested to see how that might work out in the future. How old is Wesley now? Four and a half. Wow, that's awesome. And I think the last time you saw him was when you guys were on tour with Real Big Fish. It's been a while. Yeah, he fell asleep when I was holding him. (laughs) Yeah. I think being a parent, another fun thing is that you you get to relive so many parts of childhood. And I think being, I'm going to be 41, I think in a couple weeks. And I think for me, um, it's, it's awesome to revisit things and just say, you know, this was something I love to do. Why am I sitting on the sideline? I think I can still roller skate. I think I can still go down a hill. I think I can still blow bubbles. I think I can. And remembering and jumping into that childhood with, with um, kids. I remember that show Super Nanny or something like that, the nanny, I don't remember. But she would always tell parents to play. And it's, there's part of you that just wants to sit on your cell phone and let your kids play or part of you that just wants to, you know, people watch. But when you really play, I feel that you you go to another level, and it is it is vulnerable. But I'm trying to remember, even as I get older, you know, still play, <laughs> get out there. Some of my best memories as a kid were when my parents would be, you know, right there on the floor with me or on the playground or whatever. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Why uh, Why don't you tell me a little bit about your growing up? I don't I don't really know a whole lot of your story um, as a kid or, or yeah. growing up in the church or not, or or what? Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up to two Mexican-American parents. Uh, they grew up during the era of the Chicano movement, and they were very much involved in um, 
liberties and social rights, and they're kind of hippies, I guess I would say. And we moved to the middle of nowhere, Colorado, which is Pierce, Colorado. It's about an hour from Denver. And we had a big community of people that liked to make bonfires, and everybody made pottery and macrame and healthy food and dried their own herbs and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And, um, I mean, it was like 70s hippies. And I grew up, um, you know, you hear this, this desire for parents now to get their kids dirty and to get out and be all these things. And that's kind of how I grew up. I remember, you know, we had free reign on the whole town and dirt bikes and um, hills and gardens and just playing and gravel pits and having fun and obviously danger in every single corner and no one cared. Um, Mm -hmm. So kind of free range kid and very imaginative because we lived in the country. You didn't have the mall or a movie theater or um, fast food or anything like that. So I would write novels. I would have little notebooks and write, you know, stories. And I learned pretty early on that I was a spiritual person. Um, We'd go to church mostly just for holidays, um, but not too much. We didn't go very much. And my parents were, they appreciated God and they thought of God as in nature and in the mountains and as part of our life. And they appreciated Jesus and they, you know, would pray to Jesus, but we didn't, certainly didn't learn about the Bible very much or anything like that. But I knew for myself that I was, I, I remember in sixth grade, we went on like an outdoor lab at school and we were supposed to write about our experience. And I wrote almost significantly about the spiritual aspect of it. And I just remember always being in tune to something more than me and kind of feeling that I was weird and different than my family, certainly because they were they were mostly Catholic and they didn't go to church either, but I couldn't go to catechism because I wasn't Catholic. And, uh, <laughs> and yet I felt like I was one of the more spiritual people and always trying to, I don't know, always trying to have these conversations. And so honestly, I think by the time I got to high school, I was pretty um, legalistic because I thought, you know, well, if I do A, B, and C, and D, God of the Bible will like me. And no one had ever really explained grace to me. And so I I had a lot of learning to do, and eventually I did understand the concept of grace and realized, okay, I can't behave my way into belief. And that's still something that comes up. You can't be, like, I cannot behave my way into belief. I keep trying to do it. It's like my theme of my life. Like, if I do this and if I don't do this, then I must believe it, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. You're behaving a certain way because you believe certain things. And it's, a, you know, your morality will be dictated by your theology, that's just crap. Honestly, your theology will be dictated by what you want to do. <laughs> and so, um, so, so I was spiritual, but I was not, um, not discipled, I guess would be the Christian word to use, discipled. And what's funny is when I joined Five Iron Frenzy, I think they thought I was quite a different person because they had met me at Christian shows. So they asked me to join this band and one of the first concerts off the bat, I'm getting in the back of the van and I'm lighting up a cigarette and they all stare at me. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, sorry. So I open the window. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. We, we don't smoke. And I'm like, we as in Christians or we as in this band? Or just what? And they didn't have an answer. And basically, all this to say, like, through being in Five Iron, I learned about the Bible and I learned about the beliefs and I learned about um, just all kinds of things. I pretty much got discipled by Keith and Reese and Dennis and Scott and all the guys in the band. And learned deep love and grace from Andy and learned friendship from Brad. And yeah, essentially those were my first real Christian peeps. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. You probably didn't know that. No, I didn't. That's why I asked. Funny to think that, um, 
that I joined this Christian band with all these ideas and all this premises and had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> and here, how many years later, still doing it? Yeah, right. Uh, a number of years, right? <laughs> right. Um, do you ever think uh, that you might go back and do something like the Skeleton Key Poetry Tour? Oh, hmm. Do it again? I, mean, I don't it's know. Been, I don't, think I don't so. know how long it was, but how did yeah, how that did that idea right, come up anyways? That happened right after Five Iron broke up, and I think that it came about because I had written a poetry book, and then Reese wrote a poetry book, and Mark Solomon had written books. Mark Solomon from The Crucified and Stavesacre had written books, mm-hmm. basically chronicling his his experience. And then Pigeon John, who's a rapper, he had had some poetry book, and Alan, the fisherman, had also had poetry. And so poetry was big um, in Denver at that time, slam poetry especially, competitive slam poetry. And so I think it was kind of the flavor of the month along with swing dancing. <laughs> um, sure. So it's kind of the flavor of the month, and I think that's how we got into it. Also, wanting to find a place for all the lyrics that got turned down. I mean, that sounds weird, but mm-hmm. when you're a lyricist, and Reese definitely, I mean, all the – for all the songs he writes, he's probably got about, you know, three more versions that didn't make it or different ideas. And same for me, I'd written songs for five iron songs that never got accepted. Um, so it's like, you still feel that these concepts are good and you can tweak them and change them. Um, so I don't think that that would probably happen as far as a tour because of having children and stuff, but I, I might be interesting and I'm glad you bring it up. I might ask Reese, you know, what he plans to do with all the versions of, of lyrics that he's written that haven't made it because I think they're interesting. And I think fans are interested in that to say, you know, what inspired it. And, and I certainly am interested to, to hear from other musicians what inspired this, this song, because you only get so much time in a song to say something you could say over three more pages in a poem. Sure. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's still one of the stories that come up from time to time when I, when I hang out with Lori and Jenny and that group, when you guys did the, you were in Tennessee. I don't remember what, what it was Nashville or Memphis or something, but we were the crazy kids that decided to drive from Chicago down there for the <laughs> one two hour event or whatever, and then drive back in time to make it to church. Um, I'm not that young anymore, but it was, it was a fun weekend. Right. That was kind of a bummer for me because my luggage got lost. So some sweet friends did go to Walmart and get me clothes, but oh my gosh, I was wearing the scratchiest <laughs> underwear that whole tour. <laughs> Walmart underwear, very scratchy. <laughs> yeah, they, their high quality is not something they know much about. No. <laughs> um, you're you're one of the first people that I went out with and grabbed a beer. Really? Um, Where were uh-huh. we? Let's see if we can remember. <laughs> Do you remember? We. Yeah, I was in town with some guys uh, from the uh, the old Frenzy Board years ago, and they we did an interview or something with you for a documentary that I never saw. Um, yeah, or, at the I art gallery. I don't know if they finished it. Yeah, yeah. So it was after the art gallery. We went out and just chatted with some of your friends. Um, but I remember at that point still thinking, being in my, my older mindset, which obviously I've changed now because I'm a big fan of beer, Going like, well, if, you know, if someone that is a Christian that is like Leonor can drink, like, why why couldn't I drink kind of thing? Um, I don't know. That doesn't really necessarily mean anything, but I thought I'd bring that up. No, I understand because for me, for many years, there was a stigma of, um, 
ordering a drink and having a drink and still, and I'm almost 41, like I said, and still I would never take a drink on stage. There's just no way. There's no way. Mm. And I don't know why. There's just something that's a line in the sand there that's like, okay, I have no problem going up to the bar and having an amaretto sour with a fan or a beer, but I wouldn't bring it on stage. To me, and then plenty of people do, and I don't judge it. It's just for me, I feel like that's like, eh, no. <laughs> you know? I don't know why. There's, yeah. there's just, you're right. There's residual thoughts about the way we, we were very legalistic as a band. In fact, when we first started touring, one of the things we had our own mission statement, and one of our rules as a band, self-inflicted rules, was no drinking. We did not drink on tour. No drinking. Zero. For several years. And then I remember the night that we stopped that. Do you want to hear about that? <laughs> yes, would love to. It was the last night of the Ska Against Racism tour. And during that whole tour, you know, we're on tour with Les and Jake, Gluminis, Mike Park, Kamuri, uh, Toasters, all these bands that definitely did drink. And in fact, they had bought these very beautiful little shot glasses, commemorative shot glasses for Ska Against Racism tour. And Please. they had them all on stage and had a shot for everybody. And then eight of them had milk for our band. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and so we did take a shot of milk, you know, just ha, ha, ha. But then the last night of that tour was like, I think it was in Montana. And no, it was, in, it was, it was somewhere in Pittsburgh. And we decided, well, okay, it's the last night of the tour. We're going to, you know, go to a bar with them and have a beer or two. And this is how sheltered we were. None of us thought to be the designated driver. And we were all yeah. kind of lightweights. So each of us probably only had two beers that night. But nobody could drive. No one, and no one was comfortable driving after a couple of beers because we had not been drinking. And so we're right. all in this state of mind like, okay, let's everybody just go to bed in our bunks on the school bus and get up in the morning and see who's <laughs> going to drive. But it was so, we're so naive, you know, like, ooh, we're going to drink a couple of beers. And, <laughs> you know, when you're drinkers, you think about a designated driver, I guess. That's really funny. Very. We're so sheltered. I love it. <laughs> I actually love it. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, what do you think What do you think the future looks like, not just for Five Iron, but for you and your family? Um, do you guys plan on staying in uh, the Denver area for a while? Do you have any big projects or things that you're looking forward to, maybe that you haven't gotten to yet or that are in progress? Um or anything, just kind yeah. of a wide open question. I I think that we will we will definitely stay here. We recently bought about two years ago we bought this huge house and we bought it along with Steven's parents. And in fact they live downstairs. So we bought it together and we decided we had been deciding this for a few years that we wanted to all live together. And this arrangement is amazing because it's a big enough house where they have their own kitchen and bedrooms and bathroom and we share a laundry room and we have our own bedrooms upstairs and kitchen and a big enough yard that we can all hang out and it's it's really settled into a wonderful life where grandma and grandpa are around and multi-generational and helping with kids homework as well and sharing meals and of course when grandma and grandpa are here Stephen has two brothers and they have kids and wives and so a lot of family and I'm pretty much recreating the Hispanic dream with my nice. family <laughs> and it's funny because they're Irish but I'm like you know, this is how we do things. We all live together. And so I've convinced them and we're loving it. So, yeah, we're definitely going to stay in Denver. And um, Denver is growing like crazy. And so much is happening here and there's so much going on. And I'm really grateful to live in this city because there's a lot to do. 
there's um, always different types of people. We're getting better restaurants because there's more young people now and more entertainment in restaurants, which is okay. awesome. And breweries, as you know. Yes. Tons of breweries here. <laughs> I will still so come out for, for uh, a visit, even if it is just to, to say hey and, and visit all the breweries out there because you guys have some, some amazing places. Well, and I never was a big beer drinker, but because my husband, he has a screen printing shop, and his was next to a our mutual friend brewery, I've learned that I love sours. I love the occasional wheat beer. Um, cool. I've learned that I do not like IPAs, cannot handle it. Um, and I'll make, like, the ugliest beer face ever. Like, I don't mean to, <laughs> and it's really rude. And so I feel bad, like, if people even offer them, I'm like, don't waste it on me because I don't have a palate for it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's interesting because I feel like I feel that what I'd love to explore down the road is um, more of a foodie culture and more of a drink and food culture because, you know, being a punk rocker back in the day, it was like maybe you ate cereal, tea, and Chipotle one burrito a day, and that was like (laughs) food. That was exciting. So it's my mind is really expanding, and especially with, you know, Netflix showing us all this awesome food and movies and shows and documentaries, it's like, Maybe that's something Stephen and I, we've decided as a hobby, you know, eating might be a good hobby. <laughs> sure. No, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I don't have any big plans. Just eat. Um, you asked me about speaking, and yes, for the next 10 years at least, I'd like to be speaking and traveling. Um, and then I feel that the next 10 years after that, I want to pull in a bit and maybe um, have more of a, a mellow life after that. I. It sounds weird to think in 10-year seasons, but I kind of do. I almost plan the next 10 years will be extroverted, and then the next 10 years will be introverted and pulled back. And that's what I did when the kids were born. When the kids were little, I was very pulled back, and I was a homebody and very inward. And then when Five Iron came out again in 2011, now I'm, I'm having the season of, you know, being out there and in the community and traveling. And so I think very much in, in seasons like that, like in and then out. And then in, you know, I don't want to <laughs> exhaust myself indefinitely. Well, that's good. It's good to pace yourself, even if it is in 10-year stints. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, real quick here, I was, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast, it, for really, for me, is to be able to have a reason to call people and, and chat with them and catch up, but not have it be weird or have it be like, hey, you know, I've not talked to you in four years. You want to go hang out? Right. Um, uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you is how um, you've seen our friendship or you've seen me change over the last, who knows, 15, 20 years that we've we've known each other. Well, I think that you are similarly on the progression that a lot of Five Iron fans are in some ways that um, come from a background that the box is very tiny. And, and that's what kind of drew a lot of people to Five Iron was the idea that um, – there are glimmers of of questions that you just don't ask and thoughts that you just don't have. And you were always one of those people and you are you are a very academic and curious person and but also very strong relationally. And I've always seen you as wanting to know us as people, not just, you know, you were never satisfied with just the little conversation. You are the guy that comes early and the guy that stays late and the guy that becomes a friend. And um I've appreciated that. And you're also the guy that almost researches and digs around to the other bands and the lyrics and and even the subject matter. And I think for a lot of people that have really 
invested themselves in the message of Five Iron and in the message of of the not status quo, I guess I'll say, uh, the, the message of the angsty Christian, um, there is going to be growth and there is going to be challenge and there is going to be dissatisfaction with the status quo. And so I see that you are kind of on the path of, you know, let's own my own thoughts, let's own my own beliefs, let's own my own um, my own challenges, no matter how awkward or uncomfortable or different it is and how much it has veered. And so I think that it's awesome that so many people are being true to the beliefs that they have and not just owning the status quo because that was what was handed to us. And that's what's been an interesting thing is for us to say, faith is going to change. Faith is fluid. It is not one thing. It's not a, not a, I arrived and that's it. There's a progression of it. And so it's been interesting to watch people say, oh, no, I'm having thoughts to be like, oh, awesome, I'm having <laughs> thoughts, and then to be okay with thoughts and recognize that relationships don't need to be severed because our thoughts are different from one another. And that is the biggest thing, I think, that even being in Five Iron is teaching me that I can have deep, meaningful relationships with people who believe very differently than me. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to not be your Facebook friend. It's like, no, I'm going to be in your life almost every day. Our kids are going to look at each other like siblings. We are so entwined that it's hard to know where you end and I begin, but we are, we are also vastly different and we are going to have to respect each other because we're not going to agree. And so I find that a lot of Five Iron fans are going through that and recognizing how are we going to keep our friendships when we don't agree? How are we going to enjoy this band and this crowd and this message when we don't agree? Um, and I think you're one of those people that's like, I'm, I'm committed. I'm not going to end these relationships because I don't agree, but rather we're going to explore all of this. And so I'm, I'm grateful to still be your friend and to keep having these conversations, even though they're not always the easiest, but the fact that we've chosen into these relationships. Yeah, I love that. And we, we haven't had that many fights, honestly, or disagreements about much of anything. When I was trying, when I was, that's one of the things I like asking people, because sometimes it's interesting to be like, yeah, you know, you got in this big thing. Um, the only thing I could remember is one time I was out to visit with you guys as Five Iron was getting ready to relaunch, or maybe Melinda was in town and we did, you did the photo shoots for Relevant Magazine or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there was a snowstorm mm-hmm. and I had driven out of town to visit my friends and it wasn't exactly the safest drive. And I don't know if I told you or not that on that drive. No, you're crazy. Um, I, I remember yeah, you going I, to Palmer City or what was it, Palmer? Yeah, Palmer Springs. You're crazy. Um, we were we were terrified for you. <laughs> <laughs> I this you know this uh, uh, Midwesterner. I I don't I didn't know any better. And on the way out there to visit my friends, the the there was a whiteout that was so bad that I actually thought I was staying on the road and I was, but there was this big drift that had covered the road, but everything was so white. I couldn't tell. And I went straight into oh. a drift and got stuck for like maybe an <gasps> hour and a half or so. And, and yeah. was able to get myself out with the kindness of some passerby. Oh, but I remember getting back the next day and not saying anything. And you were like so mad at me for having driven. Oh, everyone but, was. Know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It worked out. That's- that was worrisome. I think that we, you know, I, one thing that I hope, one thing that I hope is that people know that they can talk to me. And even, you know, you and I have had some disagreements a couple, well, at least once. And just, you know, I, I realized right away I can just call him and talk to him. And that's always the best 
recourse for anything when whenever there's a disagreement to just call the person you know or just talk to the person and I feel like when I saw you physically I felt like everything just kind of melted away and it's like oh it's him and you were kind of like well it's her and you know that's kind of even with band arguments it can be so heated on text or an email but the minute we see each other it's like hugs all around right that makes sense that's good yeah. there are some and I will say there are some even in my family that if there's a disagreement, there's like no communication for a very long time. And mm. that, you know, that doesn't help things, obviously. Just like you said, it's much better to try and talk it out, even if it's uncomfortable or awkward or whatever. It's better in the end to be able to come up with some sort of a, a solution or agree to disagree kind of thing versus not saying anything. Well, I think that's what's happened in the band is that we recognize that none of us can do it on our own. We need each other. And so when you need each other to the level that we do, it's like, you better figure it out. And sometimes it's time pressure. Right. It's like, you better figure it out in two hours before we go on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love that. I actually, I have learned that the level of commitment that I have is a lot bigger than I knew I had the capacity for. And my, the level of forgiveness I don't like to forgive sometimes. It's hard. And I can say, well, I'll tolerate that person, but I don't want to be their friend. And I can pull that off for like a month or two. And then I just kind of have to melt because it's going to really be bad for me physically and emotionally to just play the game and be like, well, I'll just be around them, but I'm not their friend. That That's crap. We don't have time to waste for that kind of stuff, you know? And when I do find mm -hmm. myself doing it and I have done it, it bothers me and it, it makes me feel incomplete. And so finding the next step, whatever it means for me to say, man, can I just let it go? It, it sucks and it's hard, but I've had to let a lot of things go where maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but either way, I just got to let it go because it's not helpful. I, I think that defines you very well. You are a very um, <laughs> positive and hopeful person, even if that hope is more realistic versus the, the unrealistic hope that Reese has sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks for catching up with me and allowing me to do this. That's awesome. Very cool. I'm glad you're doing this. This is super cool. Thanks for having me on, Joel. Talk to you next time. Bye. All right. Bye.